following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. All right. So which, uh, which superpower hero would you be and why? Dio just turned around and went, I would have the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. Shut up. <laughs> That's not a superpower hero. You should be able to do that anyway. <laughs> what would you be? What would you be and why? For me, I'll be straight up. And my wife, when I told her this, said, that's really creepy. I was like, no, it's not. It's really fun. I would be invisible. That would be my power. How many of you said invisible? Yeah, you're right. You know, just think how much fun you could have, like messing with people's heads. It would be amazing. I would literally go, whatever sports team. I'm a rugby league fan, right? Wigan rugby league fan. My dream would be, this is how sad I am, would be when we're going to play in St. Helens, arch rivals like kind of hate each other, okay, my dream would be invisible and stand. Every time St. Helens run through the pit, just go, whoop, and trip them up, and they just fall over. Think, put that in a football analogy. That's basically, they're through one-on-one with the goalkeeper, open goal. Oh, and look, they've just fallen over again. Mr. Invisible, there, striking, winning. It would be the best thing ever. All right, flying would be cool, and all of that kind of stuff, but no, no, no. Invisible, just the fun you could have. If you grew up with sisters, think of how much fun you could have doing that. I used to, anyway. I'll stop now. One of my favorite TV shows as a kid, and one of the shows which I absolutely love now watching with my own kids, is uh, Tom and Jerry. Okay? Tom and Jerry is so much fun, like the best thing ever. As re-watching it with my children, I realized how surprisingly violent that show actually is. As a kid, it was just lots of fun. Right now, it's brutal. And I'm like, yeah, and don't try that. Don't, that one's quite funny. No, not the iron. All that, all that stuff. We were watching one just recently, which I think is my favorite episode. Uh, it's called The Invisible Mouse. All right, it's based on, for those of you not quite as cultured as me, liking Tom and Jerry, it's based on something far less cultured. H.G. Wells is the Invisible Man from 1897, darling. All right, it's based on that. But Tom and Jerry, the Invisible Mouse, way much more fun. And uh, it's, it's a parody of H.G. Wells' book. And basically, in case you've got no idea what Tom and Jerry is, you're missing out. Just go and YouTube it later. Loads of fun. It, basically, Tom the Cat and Jerry the Mouse spend their entire life just trying to terrorize each other, like find new and inventive and creative ways to to beat one another up and to to inflict pain on one another. And in The Invisible Mouse, Jerry falls into some invisible ink, okay? And suddenly, terrorizing Tom becomes so much more fun because he has no idea where Jerry is. And he just suddenly gets whacked on the head and an iron thrown at him and, and loads of other really exciting things. If there are any children in the room, we've got kids work, please. They don't get taught that kind of stuff here. Um, <laughs> but... It's really quite funny. And if Tom eventually, because only a few minutes long, these, uh, these cartoons, Tom eventually figures out what's going on and realizes that Jerry somehow is now invisible. And he soon figures out a way of working out where Jerry is. He throws flour on him. And suddenly he can see like his footprints running all over the place and he can see the outline and the, the shape of Tom. And in the various film remakes and TV series adaptations of H.G. Wells's book, The Invisible Man, I mean, they're all a bit different. Some are better than others. But the general premise is the only way you can spot him is by throwing paint 
on uh, the invisible man. Then you can see his outline. Then you can see his shape. Then what is invisible suddenly becomes visible. Today, where are we going with this? Uh, Today, we are in the final part of our series, Step Into the Story. So two weeks ago, I unpacked the whole thing of join the story. And then last week, live the story. And today, it's all about sharing the story. You and I, we live our lives within stories. And the only way we're going to find that fulfillment that our heart desires, that sense of accomplishment that we really want, that sense of arriving at the place of the the journey, the quest that we're all on, the only way we're going to get that is if we live our lives and recognize that we do live our lives within the context of the great big story of God. It's the only way that everything makes sense. And so two weeks ago, I said unashamedly, join the story. Quit living for your own thing and start living for this big thing. Last week, recognizing that as you live the story, you really need to be in the context of community. You cannot do this thing alone. You are not created to try and do it alone. And so many of us, sadly, learn that lesson all too late. When everything crumbles, we're like, oh, I need people now. No, 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 you need people from the beginning to end. You need to live your life in the context of community. If you've not yet signed up for one of our communities or courses, I'm going to just tell you again, you've got a week. A week before they all kick off, get signed up, grab hold of the booklet, get on the community's website. Hundreds and hundreds of you have signed up so far. I want to believe that more than 90% of people in our church are going to sign up. You can't get everybody. I recognize that. Moses went up a mountain, came down with tablets of stone from God, and not everyone was on board. Nah, not for us. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're not one of those, and I'm not saying that you are, but I'm saying let's get involved. Let's step in. Let's live this story. Today's share the story. And the basic premise of where we're going, of what I'm really talking about in this whole thing, is that the main role that we have as a church, the, the main role that we have as individuals who make up the church, is to be the flower, is to be the paint, if you like, that makes the invisible Christ visible to our community. We're to be his hands and his feet. We are to be the ones who share, who demonstrate, who tangibly declare his story with the way we live, with what we say. It's why how we live matters. Right from the beginning of this big story, God has been all about having a people for himself. He's been all about having the the mission is not so much, the church doesn't so much have a mission, the mission has a church. We are the mission, the mission of God to redeem and reconcile and restore everything back to him. And his main instruments that he uses are people like you and people like me. So how we live matters. What we say matters. Our holiness really matters. How we build this multi-ethnic community that we're trying to do on earth right now in this church, it really matters because understanding this story, that's where we're heading. We're trying to create a picture of where we're going. Our multi-ethnicity, it really matters in our actions. They really matter in in being self, instead of being kind of self-serving, we're self-giving. In the way in which we treat one another, in how we deal with issues to do with forgiveness and reconciliation. When someone wrongs you, we don't just take our bat and ball home. We go, no, no, okay, I, for- I ask for forgiveness for this, or, or I forgive you for that. And what's more, I'm not going to just kind of now go, well, yeah, you're forgiven, but I'm not really going to talk to you. I'm going to reconcile back to you. I'm going to restore those broken relationships. I'm just going to be blunt right now. Some of us in this room, there are relationships and things that we need to go and restore. There are things that we need to do. Some of them go back many, many years that need to be reconciled. Some of the most powerful moments I've experienced in ministry has been when reconciliation has taken place. When somebody has come to me and said, you said 
two years ago this, and it hurts. And I don't know whether you meant it or you didn't, but it hurts. I'm like, I didn't mean that. Or actually, I did. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I have this moment of reconciliation and restoration. There are some people right now in our church, none of this is in my notes, I just feel God lay this on my heart. Some people right now in our church who place key significant parts in the life of the church who at one point were not reconciled to one another. But God prompted a moment of forgiveness, a moment of reconciliation, a moment of restoration, a moment of, you'd never meant that, but, I misunderstood that, but, or I know I'm wrong, but help me through on this. And God restores and God deals with things. If there's stuff in your past, if there's stuff in situations, if stuff particularly when it comes to leadership, the devil loves to get in there and go, and before you know it, what was a little thing is a huge problem. We need to get right to the root of it. And if it means coming and asking for forgiveness or seeking it in some way, let's be a people who do that. We don't take our bat and ball home. We don't sling mud from the sides. We get involved. That's what it is, the nitty-gritty of church life. It starts with me. I recognize that. But it then moves, and it starts with everybody else as well. We need to be a community that is distinct from those around us in our pursuit of one another in each other. That's why communities are so important, because they are demonstrations of this gospel, this wonderful story, the big story of God, of what he's all about. They are demonstrations to a community out there who doesn't know that of this goodness and this wonderful gospel that we've been singing about and celebrating about this morning. How we live in community really matters. And as we do these things... As we live like this, as we reveal, as we make known, as we display something of his glory, a watching world will see it and we will make the otherwise invisible Christ visible to our communities. Now let's be really clear, if you're a guest here today and you're new to this whole thing, this is not like some big cosmic game of Tom and Jerry. God's not like waiting just to come and whack you around the head. The minute you make something wrong, you make that decision, go around that corner, bang, he's there to get you. No, 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 we're not, we're not in some big cosmic Tom and Jerry, but one of the primary functions of us as a church is that we will make Jesus known. We will make him visible. And the Bible talks of us being the body of Christ on display on the earth. And that's the kind of church we are. It's the kind of church we're learning to be because we're, we're not where we should be. But by God's grace, we will be there. And by God's grace, this time next year, we'll be better at this than we currently are. And by God's grace right now, we're better as a church, I feel, at this point than we were a year ago. And we will increase in doing that. Acts 1 verse 8 says to us, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Sidcup and in all of Bexley or Greenwich or Bromley, wherever you are. And then to the annoying neighbors down the road, whoever that might be, whichever nation takes your fancy, all the way to the ends of the earth. We're his witnesses. You don't get a choice in that. You claim Christ, you're a witness. What kind of witness are you going to be? We're his demonstration community. We are his, the, the, those who are making visible the invisible Christ. And so what are we demonstrating? What are we witnessing? Well, we're, we're demonstrating that there is a God who loves and so we want to love people. We're witnessing to a fact that there is a God who cares, and so we want to care for people. Will we get it right all the time? No. Go back to what I said, forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. We sort that out. We won't, we're not perfect, none of us, not yet. There is a day coming when we will be. 
Until that moment, we're going to make a whole load of mistakes, but it doesn't mean we go, well, I just won't speak to anybody because it's just easier that way. I won't make any mistakes. No, no, no. We care because God cares. We're demonstrating there's a God of joy, and so we want to seek to bring joy to our communities. We're demonstrating that there is a a God who is full of compassion, and so we want to demonstrate compassion. We're demonstrating and witnessing to a God who loves orphans and and welcomes them into the family, and so we want to physically and practically and in every real sense, not just theologize, which isn't a word, it, and make it something super spiritual, which of course it is. We also want to do the practical thing of actually doing that as well. We're, a God, we're demonstrating to a God who, who passionately cares about justice, and so we want to speak out whenever and wherever we see a need. A God who cares about our every need, and so we want to practically meet people's needs. We really want to be God's hand and feet. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. That we might really be those who see like you did, who looked out on the crowds and had compassion. Lord, may we be those who don't just see and pass comment on situations. Well, bad, someone needs to do that. May we be a people who do something. May we be a people who really are your hands and your feet. Right now, in these few moments together, God, just stir our hearts once again. Passion for your name. Compassion like you have. Mercy like you have. Loving kindness like you have. Grace that covers and meets our every need like God, would you just help us? In Jesus' name, amen. So we want to be a church that doesn't just say these things, but wants to actually do these things. We can't do everything. I mean, man, but we can do something. And not being able to do everything does not mean that you go, well, we won't do anything then. We want to do something. It's why we've chosen to partner with Compassion. It's Compassion Sunday today. It's why we've chosen to partner with them because they're a fantastic organization actually doing something tangible about lifting children out of poverty in the name of Jesus. It's why we've partnered with uh, International Justice Mission as well because they're a fantastic organization actually doing something tangible and practical on the ground about releasing people from sex slavery and from the sex trafficking thing. And we want to partner with them. It's why we've partnered with Home for Good, who are a fantastic organization who really believe, and like we do, that every child matters and every child needs a loving, stable, caring environment of a home. And so they champion in fostering and adoption. And so we want to champion fostering and adoption as well. It's why we're not just talking about these things. We want to do it. So in Compassion, part of my meeting with Tim the other day is in 2018, we're organizing a trip to actually go and visit the projects again in Kenya. We're going, and, and if you want to come about that, you need to come and speak to me at some point. We'll talk about it more. You want to actually go and see tangibly what's going on and, and build a whole kind of sense of partnering with the churches, not just sending some money, but actually partnering with the churches and serving them. That's what we're going to do. International Justice Mission, we're really serious about this. Stephen and Annette Cox, who are sitting over there in a few months' time, are going to be heading out to the Philippines on our behalf as a church to go and investigate what's going on in a field office, to see it tangibly. My heart's prayer is not just that they would have a good time, but they would come back and what they share and impart and give to us would, would cause us to get more caught up in this in a real practical, tangible way. In a few weeks' time, in November, I'm meeting with some of the senior execs and stuff of IJM within the UK to discuss how do we move this forward beyond just we'll pray for you. Yes, we'll pray for you. We really want to pray for you. But how do we do this, move it forward? There are some implications for us. Probably, I'll be honest with you, financial. We want to actually do something about it. We're going to have to put our money where our mouth is. I want to do it. It's why with the Home for Good thing, we want to be really serious about this. And and there are people, there are families, some of you are sitting in this room right now who, who are doing this. 
Not just saying, hey, praise God for adoption and fostering, that's amazing, but going, I will sacrifice, lay down my life in order to do this in a real practical way. And we want to say, you're amazing. You're amazing. And what we want to do is be a community of people who wrap around people like that. We won't do it perfectly. We never are going to be able to, but we want to do the best that we can do to support and not just give lip service. So on the 6th of November, we're going to have Home for Good Sunday. We're going to celebrate all that God has done for us in terms of spiritually adopting us, but we're going to then celebrate all that God does through people who physically foster and adopt as well. And on that day, we'll have a whole load of baby Thanksgivings because we love celebrating new life, and so we'll do it. So if you've never had your baby Thanksgiving, (laughs) 6th of November, we're going to do it. And if they're now 24 and you still want to do it, hey, do you know what? That will make it fun. So bring them along (laughs) and we'll do it on the 6th of November, all right? It's why at a local level, we want to work with other churches, food bank, serve people in our communities, dead advice, everything that Steve and Jeanette are doing and establishing it again with, with, other, with other churches so we can actually serve in the local area. It's why we're pursuing some other options. I've got some increasingly good relations with local church leaders in terms of how do we partner together a bit more to bring joy to our community. And we've got a few other things in the pipeline right now as well. The lady who wrote this book, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor, my friend Natalie Williams, she's going to come and preach here in January about this stuff and and just provoke us a bit more. I'm laying this out for you because I'm serious about it. We want to be a good news people. This gospel we proclaim is good news, and so we better be a good news people. This gospel really does release every chain and break every chain, and so we want to be a people who go and practically do that kind of thing. We're really very serious about it. Right now as a church, around us in these communities, demographic-wise, there is a huge number of families And so we want to put our money where our mouth is. And and over the last few years, Lucy Hewitt and her team have done an amazing work in terms of as government starts pulling things from children's services and all the rest of it, we want to step into that gap. And she's led an incredible work in doing that, baby cafe and all these other things. And so we're saying that's wonderful, but I just kind of feel in God there's some more that we can go and do. So we're employing her. We're bringing her out a couple of days a week and spending some money in doing that. She's not here, but say, well, but say well done to her when you see her, because she's going to spearhead us into this. We're serious about it. We want to reach people and serve people and love people and be tangible presence of good news in our communities. That's what we're about. That's what sharing this story is. We want to make the invisible Christ visible, and we need to grow in this. We need to learn some perseverance in this. We need to learn that this isn't just a good idea. It's why we'll keep going on about compassion and IJM and Home for Good because we've done that, haven't we? No, we haven't. We haven't even got close. We need to keep growing in this. But here's the thing. Our most important role, our most important object, the most essential ingredient for us in making the invisible Christ visible, the most important thing in sharing the story is to preach the gospel. Is to preach the gospel. That's because the gospel testifies to what God has done to save the world, not what we can do to patch it up. See, the gospel is the announcement 
about Christ's finished work. Gospel just really means good news. It's like historically it would have been used as a herald. There was a war, there was a battle, victory had been won. The herald would come back and announce the gospel, the good news that victory has been won. And that is what we're doing, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are heralding, we are announcing, we're declaring that Jesus has won the victory and he is in charge and he is victorious and he is glorious and he rules and he reigns and we want to declare that in everything we do. And so therefore... Everything that we're involved in, every little detail of serving other people begins with and focuses in on testifying to what Jesus Christ has done. And so therefore, any service to our community that does not make this message clear ultimately doesn't serve them. It disserves them, or whatever the word is. It doesn't ultimately serve them. If that's not where we get to and proclaim Jesus is Lord, then frankly, um, this is somewhat sobering and some of you are going to react to it. But any acts of kindness that we do, apart from the gospel, only ultimately make people more comfortable on their way to hell. It's an offensive statement. How dare you say that? Because it's true. Any act of kindness that we bring to people that does not at some point land in this moment of saying there is a king who you need to submit to, there is one who is on the throne, who is Lord. The only way is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Ultimately, all we're doing is helping people be more comfortable as they head to an eternal destination for all eternity, separated from God. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I am, want to be really crystal clear I don't mean we serve people only to convert them. Our acts of kindness are not conditional on their acceptance of our message. In exactly the same way that Jesus came and served us and loved us, even though we were not interested in anything he had to say, we serve people and we love people regardless of whether they respond to our message. We don't serve to convert, we serve because we're converted. Right? Anybody and everybody. If someone says, I'm not interested in any of that, once we've shared it with them, we don't go, well, stuff you then. No, 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 no. We continue to love. We continue to serve. We continue to give. We continue to pour out our life to, to them. But there has to come a moment in our sharing of the story where we declare with our lips. We use words. We declare what the gospel is. There's that wonderful little phrase that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, it's very quaint. It's very tweetable. It's stick it on your fridge magnet kind of thing, and it's so very, very wrong. It just is not true. I mean, it's not true because he probably didn't say it, but it's not true full stop because you cannot preach the gospel without words. The gospel is an explanation about an act that occurred in history once and for all. And so we testify through words. We declare through words. We use words to speak and declare the truth of what Jesus did for us that we could never do for ourselves by living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died in our place so that others can believe and put their trust in this message as well. Saying... Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. It's a bit like me saying to you, give me your phone number, if necessary, use numbers. Without numbers, there is no phone number. Without words, there is no gospel. It needs to come to a moment where we say, no, 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 here is the truth, and we speak it. 
And yet we see throughout Scripture, so wonderfully exciting, all throughout the New Testament, that every time the gospel was declared and preached, and by when I'm talking about preaching the gospel, I'm not just talking about what happens from this stage on a Sunday. I'm talking about sharing it with people, declaring it with people, explaining it to people in your conversations, in your, in your, over the garden fence, in your workplace, whichever situation it might be. Whenever, throughout the New Testament, we see the gospel being declared and preached, we also see it being substantiated with with actions that the Bible calls signs. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, it wasn't just that kind of cool trick in order to gather a crowd. He didn't just say, pick a number between one and a billion and I'll guess it. He didn't just kind of perform like card tricks and stuff to get people to go, oh, you've got a big crowd. No, no. He performed miracles because they pointed to something of the truth of the gospel. He raised the dead back to life because he was pointing to the truth that he will make all things new in the end. He healed bodies to show that the gospel can restore what sin has destroyed. He multiplied bread to to show that those who feast on him will never be hungry. He walked on water to show that he rules over chaos and walks on top of judgment for all. Everything he did backed up the words of truth that came out of his mouth. They were not just random stuff. It was all with a point. And in Acts, we see exactly the same thing. So read through the story of the early church. We see every time the gospel is declared, signs and wonders followed. And we need to see an increase in those. An increase in healing, an increase in in breaking in supernatural power, an increase in seeing the power of God at work. But we also see, perhaps might be considered much more ordinary demonstrations. And I just find this so encouraging because this story that we're part of is full of ordinary people like you and like me. And every single gift that God has given you, whether they're kind of, you, fit, put, you would tend to put them in the super kind of hero power things of, wow, that's amazing, I'm never gonna do, or you think, well, that's not really a big deal. We see them all in the big story of God because God uses every single one of our gifts. And so we see in, in Acts chapter nine, Tabitha, as the gospel is declared, she does something seemingly very ordinary she makes clothes for her community we see Stephen in 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 Acts chapter 6 his care for the widows signified the gospel to antagonist antagonistic Jewish priests and and eventually won their hearts we see in in Ephesians 3 that the unity between the races in the church caused people to go wow it's not just something they say they actually mean this thing We see in in 1 Peter, Peter says uh, to the church that we should live our lives with such love and such grace that employers and governments and, and family members and friends and outsiders looking in go, why? Why do you live like that? How? How do you live? What is going on? And and Peter says, in doing those things, they would be a sign of the coming age. That's exactly what we do. We're declaring, we're a picture of the coming age where one day there'll be no more sickness, no more tears, no more sadness, no more brokenness. We're not just patching something up. We're proclaiming this truth and then we're demonstrating it with our actions. And often it'll be actions demonstrated first and then proclaiming truth afterwards. Not really fuss which way around it goes. It's both and. And some people would let us believe that really... What we need to do is somehow gain respectability and gain credibility and and earn the right to be heard. Church is great. As long as it's just over there doing things that no one else will do, like serving people no one else will serve, just, just get on with it quietly. And some even within that camp, that's from outside, some within would say, well, we need to earn the right to be heard. I'm not saying that we don't, but we've got to be really careful with that idea. 
Because, yes, we need to serve other people sacrificially, but we must also reject the idea that we either can or should earn the right to be heard. You see, our right to be heard is not inherent to ourselves. It comes from the enthronement of Christ by God the Father. When I speak the gospel, I'm not declaring it in my own name. I'm not speaking in the name of New Community Church. I'm speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. And he has the right to be heard. That's one of the implications of the ascension. That the crucified one has been raised from the dead and is now enthroned in glory. That the one who was silenced by humanity at the cross has been vindicated through the Father by the Father as a result of the ascension. He has come, just as it was prophesied and predicted hundreds of years before in Daniel 7. He has come on the clouds into the presence of the Ancient of Days to receive all authority. And it's because he now has all authority that he sends us out in his name to call the nations of the world to obedience. That's why we do what we do. Because there is one who's on the throne who will receive all glory and all honor. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's where this story goes. The king is fully enthroned and everyone will fall before him and worshiping him. And for those on this earth right now who willingly choose to do it, that is going to be a glorious and incredible and wonderful and marvelous day for all eternity. And those who right now don't, that's going to be a terrifying day. That's going to be a terrifying moment. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord. Why are we so passionate about launching venues and planting churches and getting more worshippers and having more people coming and hearing this gospel and responding to it? Because that day is coming soon. And we will all face him one day. And our hearts need to break for what breaks God's. And fundamentally at root, God's desire is that none should perish. God's desire is that all would bow the knee and confess willingly. But we have a choice in the matter. And we're really serious about this. Really serious about it. It breaks my heart that there are multitudes of people who are dying every single day, who don't know Christ. And there cannot possibly come a moment for those of us who claim to be mature in Christ where it doesn't break our hearts to do that. See, it's not just all about me and Jesus. It's about the glory of God and about a whole bunch of people who don't know it And they're going to face an eternity wishing with everything that they had that they had when they had a chance. That's why we're serious. That's why we're going to plant Welling next year. That's why in 2018 we'll plant again. That's why we'll send some people this year to the nations of the world. Because we live in one of the most godless corners of the planet. The nation that sent reformed Protestant Christianity around the world continent sorry the church is advancing everywhere but not here and it should be advancing here and in small ways it is but not enough 
Not enough. I don't, I'll just let you into a little secret. I don't care about bums on seats on Sundays. I mean, I would be honest, I would rather you filled up the seats from the front than the back. <laughs> it just is nicer. It just actually, no, in all seriousness, there's just something of it. Some, why do we sing? We sing because we are a body together. Whacking great spaces around you might signify you've got a terrible voice, but it also signifies that something's a little bit wrong. We're supposed to be um, filling from the front. If you're one of those people that turns up late, here's a radical, revolutionary idea. Get here earlier. <sighs> How dare you? Because it's not about me. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. What do we do here? Why are we here? We're here and recognizing and acknowledging there's a king who's on the throne. And we're submitting our lives individually and corporately to that one who is on the throne. And then we're going from this place filled up with a sense of confidence that he is alive. He's on the throne. He rules and he reigns forever. The same God who is for me right now in this moment will be for me whatever I'm doing this time tomorrow. And I'm going to live with such boldness and confidence and courage that he is for me. And if he's for me, who can be against me? That's why you need to come every week. It's not so we can fill in a chart and go, look at this trajectory. It's going very well. Thank you very much. It does you good. And it does everyone else harm when you're not here. This is why we come. This is why we gather every week. Fill us up, God. Remind us. Fill my heart. Fill my head. Fill my soul with something of the glory of who you are. And then send me out so I can live my life reflecting that glory. And then next week, I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to drink most deeply again. And I'm going to listen to those sermons yet again. Some people say, oh, you're worried about and people will never actually remember that unless you've got 48 slides and a handout. And how are they going to remember? I don't care whether you remember every word I say each week or not. How many meals in your life can you remember? Like one or two of them. Maybe three or four, maybe some significant moments in your life where you had a real night. I can't remember what I ate yesterday. But I'd know if I didn't. So I'd soon get very, very hungry and it would soon not do me good. I'd be malnutrition. That's why we come and sit and listen to proclamation of the gospel each week because we're coming and we're just being reminded of our hearts and our souls of who he is and what he's done. And then we get sent out to go and live it for a week. That's what this is about. And there's a promise of scripture that as we proclaim this, as we speak this truth, as we declare it with our lives and with our words, there will be fruit. You see, it says in, in, in John chapter 20, that though, blessed are those you've seen and believe, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And right there, Jesus is saying to the, saying to the disciples, he's preparing them. They've gone from seeing and believing to there's going to be a generation, a future of which we are part of who will not see, who will only hear and will believe. And we think, well, is that possible? If I just say these words, is, is, is anybody actually going to believe? Well, what follows next in John 21 is an absolute promise that that will happen. There's this moment where the disciples are all fishing and they're not catching anything. And Jesus appears to them and this is after his resurrection. They're not entirely sure what's going on. And he says, and he shouts out to them, hey, kids, are you catching anything? And they're like, no, no. Put your nets on the other side. And they do. And Tons of fish, 153, I think it actually says somewhere, come out. 
big and the nets don't break and they haul it all in. People think that's all about fishing. It's a demonstration of the power and the miraculous power of God. No, it's not because it comes right after what Jesus says in John 20. You see and believe. There's a moment coming when people will hear and believe. And let me show you how. As you fish, as you give yourself to it. These were expert fishermen. They actually had to put the nets in. They actually had to haul it in. They actually had to do it. You and I are like that, fishermen. Elsewhere in the gospel it says, yeah, you're a fisherman. I'll make you fishers of men. All right? What that means is we go fishing. We go and proclaim the word and say, and he brings the fruit. He brings the catch. He brings the man. We have a role to play. It's not just, well, God will save who he wants to save. Yeah, and the way he's ordained it is that people like you and I will open our mouths and people will hear the gospel and will believe. There is a promise of fruitfulness for us in this coming year because the Lord of the harvest says so. Because the one who has all authority says so. And so often you think, well, I can't really give anything. It just looks so small and puny. Just think for a moment about a seed. I mean, seeds are tiny, right? They often just look like bits of grit. They often get just trampled into this and you think, and nothing's ever going to come from that. You plant those seeds, even get trodden down into the ground, and what comes? Fruit. What comes? Growth. What comes? Life. What comes? A harvest. There will be a harvest in 2016, 2017 for the glory of Christ. There will be people saved and added. There will be people right now who are so far from God. You're thinking, I've just planted these little seeds. They just look broken and busted in the soil. They will bear fruit. How many? I don't know. Might be one person. And if it is, we'll give glory to God. Might be 10. And if it is, we will praise and shout and whoop and holler. It might be a 100 it might be a thousand. I don't know. But there will be a harvest this year because the Lord of the harvest declares so. And he blesses what we do in his name. When we die to the name of me, the name of ourselves, even the name of our church, I'm hoping New Community Church will last a little bit longer. But ultimately, it's not about the name of New Community Church. It's about the name of Jesus Christ. And you have a role to play and I have a role to play and we have a role to play because fishing is not an individual sport in a biblical sense. You and I think fishing, we think one guy with a rod sitting there by himself for ages going, no, no, I mean, why? (laughs) Sorry, James. Fishing in a biblical, ancient Near East culture was an entire village affair. Everyone, young, old, everyone, drag the nets down, go and chuck it in, leave them there, and pull them all back, and everyone will have a part to play. Every single one of us has a part to play. If you're an expert in evangelism, go for it. You still need Jesus, because you ain't saving no one. And if you're an amateur in evangelism, join the queue, join the club. But I've come to a place of recognizing and realizing, and some of you are like, you fool, how long has it taken you that it's him who does it? He uses me. I sow the seed. I have a chat with my Muslim friend. I speak to him about the gospel. I've planted some seed. Jesus, you bring the gruff. And I pray like crazy. There is a day coming. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That's a promise that we can look forward to and delight in, but it's also something which needs to drive us forward now as a church. We live for the glory of Christ alone, to declare his glory, to show his glory, to demonstrate his glory in practical and tangible ways, and to speak of his glory with our words. Let's be a bold, confident, courageous people. 
who join, who live, who step into this story. It starts as simply as saying, God, give me an opportunity today. And I promise you, you pray that every day, by the end of the week, you'll have had a bunch of opportunities. Have some courage, go and take them. It's actually, people don't throw things at you. I discovered that this week. I mean, they look at you like you're mad sometimes, but they don't throw things at you generally. And those that do, well, you know not to speak to them again. They're without excuse on the day of judgment. Let's be a bold and courageous people. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.